Hey everyone, it's Andrea. Today, we give you a mini geology lesson, a new Star Trek drinking game is born, and we ask the question, what would you do if you saw a godlike race of people? All that and more coming up. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking Season 3, Episode 4, entitled, Who Watches the Watchers? This episode was written by Richard Manning and Hans Beemler and directed by Robert Weimer. It is Stardate 43173.5. When the Enterprise leads a rescue team to a Starfleet outpost that is studying a primitive culture, they inadvertently allow the race a glimpse of their futuristic technology and are mistaken for gods. Wary of violating the Prime Directive, but needing to rescue a wounded Federation officer, Troy and Riker beam down in native garb. Although Riker escapes with a lost member of the science team, Troy is captured by the Mintakans, who have adapted Picard as their god. Sharice, do you have any initial thoughts on this episode? I do. I actually felt like this episode was what the episode Justice should have been. I feel like this is the do-over of that episode. And yeah. I didn't I didn't love this episode, but I also didn't hate it. And as I watched it, I was like, okay, yes, this is what justice should have been. Because that episode mm-hmm. was trash. And this episode felt like this is what you were actually going for. What about you? Um, yeah, you know, I didn't think about that at all. Um, I think that's a really great point. I liked this episode. It mm-hmm. felt very solid, good Star Trek. That sentence was not my best ever, but like it felt like solidly. <laughs> it's morning. It's morning. Okay. <laughs> um, it it felt like uh re- like where Star Trek solidly lies, and then these really really great episodes. I it doesn't stand out in my memory as like one of the greats, mm-hmm. but again, you know, we're still pretty fresh into season three, where where the wheels are just starting to like kick up some dirt and get going. Um, I also thought that this. This ep- this episode was, I thought it was very well written. There were a lot of layers to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it features like a highly logical race of people. And I love that they're talking about religion, which for many is like illogical. And mm-hmm. I was like, ooh, that's like really cool balance, you know, and I really appreciated the writing uh, in this episode. Being a religious person, this usually bothers me because... Um, for in Star Trek and a lot of other shows, but in Trek specifically, they pit intelligence against religion. Like if you are religious, mm-hmm. you somehow cannot be intelligent and that technology displaces God, something like that. And I do feel like that's really um, narrow-minded and, and very singular. And I think there's room for more as much as I love science, which I absolutely do. And I think it helps us so much in our lives and in the world. Science doesn't explain everything. Like it doesn't explain love, no matter how many chemicals you can identify that are activated Mm -hmm. in the presence of a loved one. Right. Like it doesn't explain it. And so I do feel like it's a little bit short-sighted to take that view that only unintelligent people can be religious. Mm -hmm. However, the way it was done in this episode, didn't feel insulting. It felt like it was trying to be kind of respectful, which again was like the opposite of justice, which Mm -hmm. was trash. Um, so yeah. (laughs) And I um, wish that show would just disappear. <laughs> like yeah. that episode just never was. But I feel like we need to create several like games out of Trek World. One is my bingo sheet of most punchable faces of Starfleet. Yes. Um, two, I think there needs to be um 
like a board game or a card game of some sort of of like each card is like the shittiest episodes like justice Mm -hmm. and too short a season Mm -hmm. and some of those code Mm -hmm. of honor and it's like you pull the card and then you have to like go back to the spaces in in, yeah (laughs) (laughs) or you have to like take a shot and then try to give us the rewrite idea or something i don't know (laughs) if you haven't been to that game please let us know send us an email to info at the tng podcast.com yeah, or if you're a game developer, let us know because this needs to happen. Yes, um, we'll play I it. Have, I have a little bit of trivia uh, on this episode. Um, the rock formation that was featured prominently in this episode is called Vasquez Rocks. It lays about 30 miles north of Los Angeles, so it's a very hmm. convenient site to like travel with all your gear to go film. This famous rock formation features in a million TV shows and movies. But in Star Trek alone, it's in four episodes of the original series, one episode of TNG, which is this one, two episodes of Voyager, one episode of Enterprise, one episode of Picard, and several of the Star Trek films, including the newest J.J. Abrams iterations, because he Mm -hmm. wanted to pay homage to Mm. this rock formation that features so prominently in like a bunch of uh, Trek universe stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, that is neat. Let's hear it, L.A. I did not know that at all. And it was a very cool rock formation. It doesn't look specifically like nothing about it is especially alien. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's just so isolated. It's just like a rock in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing identifiable to say what planet you're on. Exactly. And it's way better than that stupid green screen <laughs> that we had back in season. Yeah. One. Why didn't they, why didn't they just film like Tasha Yar's death there instead of the yeah. like cat shit planet? That's just like yeah. green screen and like some dirt anyway. So it's that's Vasquez rocks. You can look it up. It's near a town called Agua Dulce, um, but it's about 30 miles North of LA. So if you're ever around there, um, go check it out. It's mostly sedimentary rock, which is what makes the cool striations in the rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not good rock climbing. So I'm really bummed about that. Cause I'm like, yeah. Ooh, I want to go climb Vasquez rocks. I'd be really cool, but you can't not really uh-huh. anyway. All right. So that's the trivia for today. Um, let's just jump in. So the crew is heading to help deliver some goods to an anthropological survey team on Mintaka three kind of a cool planet name mm-hmm. and the anthropologists are are watching this like proto vulcan society and mm-hmm. they're doing it by observing them via something called a duck blind which i was like ooh, what's that mm-hmm. i didn't do a deep dive on it but i did google some stuff and it's basically just like a little structure that looks like it fits in with the environment mm-hmm. so you can be there but the animals or proto yeah don't know you're there it's a hunting hide and i I I know it has like a real name, but they were equating it to a duck blind, which is really funny because it's like in the 24th century, do you guys still do duck hunting? Really? <laughs> um, but okay, whatever. Like, I think it was an apt uh, comparison. I also thought to myself, I could not be an anthropologist because no, like I love all the shows on the nature channel and all of that. Like they're beautiful. I love the footage they get of ants and spiders and snakes and all kinds of stuff and the random mm-hmm. places all over the world. But there's no way that I could be camping out in these harsh conditions for months and months and months to get like 30 minutes of footage. Like there's no, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. So thank you to all of the people out there (laughs) who happily do that work because I totally appreciate it. You know, I took uh, an anthropology class in college and I took an archaeology class because I was really interested in archaeology. I was like, ooh, that could be a potential major. Um, Incredibly quickly realized Absolutely not for me because you spend your entire life doing a study on this 
ancient rock wall that was like a divider between two properties. You're like, great. Um, Mm -hmm. I spent my entire life studying a rock wall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, five feet high and like 15 feet down the road. Like. (laughs) But, like, these things are important to try to determine, like, how society was functioning mm-hmm. prehistorically. Yeah. But I was like, but it's a rock wall. Like, I, uh. <laughs> like it's just a little, like, fence between two neighbors' houses. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I'm not digging up triceratops skeletons. Like, I'm out. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> So the so the crew is heading to drop off this holographic generator um, because they they need to like disguise themselves from them in Tonkins, um, and the generator in front of the observation post goes out, and there's two natives of the society and they are walking along and they see the duck blind basically becoming visible, mm-hmm. um, and the father his name is Liko. Um, He climbs up the rocks and sees the crew members in there and he sees people like beaming in and out. And he's like, oh, my God. I mean, these people are in their Bronze Age. So Mm -hmm. not even remotely close to like ready for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what your thoughts were. Like, what would you think if you were to see something like that futuristic? Yeah, I would think um, I would definitely be scared and I would probably think I was hallucinating. Um, I wouldn't think it was real. And I think that the assumption of the Mintakins that the people of the Enterprise are gods or magical beings makes all the sense in the world because how are they just disappearing before your eyes, even mm-hmm. despite all the other technology, even despite the tricorders and whatever, because you don't even understand, you don't even have a concept of those things. But I think it was really the beam out part that was like, what the, you know, and then also seeing data who looks so different. Because the humanoids look kind of like the Mintakins. Their foreheads are a little different and their skin's a little lighter, but they look pretty similar, Mm -hmm. Um, which is another thing I thought to myself that if alien life did exist and it came to earth and it was humanoid in any way, shape or form, that alone would freak me out. Because Mm -hmm. what are the odds of that? I feel like the odds are infinitesimal that there'd be another being in the universe that looks humanoid. Mm -hmm. Like that's just crazy. So that alone would freak me out. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, if I poked my head into a duck blind and saw some futuristic race, they'd probably look like the Sheliak or something. And I wouldn't even know what I was looking at. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like the humanoid thing is a necessary a for, for actors. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. Like, but like not so as realistic as the show is people. Yeah. That part's not. Super <laughs> but anyways. Yeah. I would, I would have the same conclusions that they have. I would freak out. I would be trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then, you know, he's seeing all of this and Data's like, uh-oh. And then- <laughs> I love that Data's the one who's like, uh, Commander? <laughs> Anybody know this guy? Anybody? No? No? Uh, we don't know this guy. Who is this guy? And then he, and then he like gets, he gets shocked and then falls like almost to his death. And I was like, so shocked. I did not see that coming. I thought they would mm-hmm. be like, oh no. And like maybe um, stun him with a phaser or something and erase his memory. That's what I thought would happen. But when he fell and like landed at the bottom of the rocks, I was like, oh my gosh. And his like legs all crooked. I was like, this is pretty violent for a Trek episode. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, the daughter runs over and it's just like, no, I was like, gosh, this is, this is awful. Like, and then I also thought, but now he can't tell their secrets and like freak out his whole people. Yep. I did. I did not remember this episode. Let me just start with that. 
<laughs> as I was watching, I was like, what, what, what's, what's happening here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that was really violent and like so scary to see his legs all crooked. And so I was like, Oh God. Mm-hmm. Um, so the good doctor, as she is, um, beams him up for medical attention immediately. And she gets to him in like two seconds. So she must've like superwoman jumped out of the duck blind down the like 60 feet of rocks and landed <laughs> right like next to him. Crewmen. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, why did he jump out the window? What's going what? Hello, where's I that know. guy going? I know. That's what I was thinking too. That's what I was thinking. I mean, gonna blow? Why did there you was jump out? Roll down the hill. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, two people got electrocuted, and everybody else just kind of went like, ah. But this dude was like, I am out of here. Like, <laughs> he jumps totally out the window, jumped out the window, <laughs> dropped ten thousand feet onto the floor, and was like, never seen again. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck is that dude doing? But. So, so Beverly's superhero, like Wonder Woman jumps down, beams him up immediately to sickbay. Um, and Captain Picard comes into sickbay minutes later and is like, Beverly, I need to speak with you. And she comes in like, I already know what you're going to say. And I love that we get the push and pull between Doctor and Captain again. We didn't get a ton of that with Pulaski. We got some push, but it was more like, let me do my job and get the fuck out of my way. But mm-hmm. Beverly gets a little bit more like, like personal. Yes. Yes. She gets a little bit more personal with him. And I like that. So he's like, she said it was either let him die mm-hmm. or bring him up and like save and him. Patch him up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, she, and he says, well, why didn't you just let him die? And I love that she argues back that like his injuries were due to them being there. Like he wouldn't have just like fallen and broken his leg. And that would have been that he he nearly died because of them and i um, completely and, agreed with that it's not yes. like she was walking down the road and then found somebody who was almost mm-hmm, dead and then mm-hmm. beamed them aboard and totally broke the prime directive it was yeah. like he only fell because he looked in the duck blind and got electrocuted it's 100% starfleet's fault, fault that he almost died and yes. it's your duty because you can easily save him and fix his broken leg that takes no effort from you at all mm-hmm. like you guys need to fix him i agree yes. with that I agreed with that also. And I agree with you with agreeing with that. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, Um, and like, I think it's pretty clear that the prime directive at this point is just a really strong suggestion anyways. It's like the speed limit. Sharice, by the end of this episode, it's like, you know, it's a side dish. It's not even like... (laughs) You know, it's like the little side of soy sauce you get with your sushi. That's all the prime directive is now. Yeah, it's gone from a speed limit to a speed bump. Yeah, <laughs> where you're just like you could slow down, but you could just keep going to a stop sign covered in bushes that nobody sees. Like that's <laughs> what it is. Like, <laughs> doesn't, this, doesn't this just not work with the prime direct? Shut up. We're keep. We're doing it. Okay. All right. So Captain tells Beverly to wipe his memory and references the pen pals episode where Pulaski did the same thing to Sarjenka. Which I loved. I was like, Pulaski gets get some props here. She gets a little mention. She's, you know, Diana Mulder was already on LA Law, I think, by this point. But I love that Beverly also was like, I'm familiar with Dr. Pulaski. It's like, oh, are we not supposed to bring up the ex-girlfriend? <laughs> no, but then she also says, but I don't think it was with that attitude because the rest of that sentence is she says, I'm familiar with Pulaski's work, but I'm not as good at it as she is. Oh, is that what she said? I did. That's I totally what she said. Yeah. That. She said, I'm familiar with her work, but I'm not as good at this technique as she is. Mm. So hopefully clearly, clearly yeah. because <laughs> oopsie. Well, the poor man, Liko, I keep wanting to call him Loki. I'm like, oh, nope, that's the wrong universe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Liko wakes up in sick bay and hears a conversation between Picard and the others and assumes Picard is a god 
Beverly immediately is like, oh, shit, and runs over and hyposprays him and puts him back to sleep. And, you know, we cut to him coming to back on the planet. And the procedure is an immediate failure because mm-hmm. he wakes up and tells his go- his daughter that, like, I saw this god. His name is Picard. I was on this ship. Uh, it goes warp five sometimes. Like, he just knew everything. Like, it was- <laughs> he knew way the too much. The- yeah. I know. <laughs> he's bald they tried a hairpiece but it didn't work like there was just a bunch of information he knew (laughs) and like i thought i was a little disappointed because there wasn't even like a shake it out period where he was like where am i how did i get here he just woke up and he's like guess what like immediately like he knew everything um so that sucks (laughs) he's immediately he's immediately telling everyone and here's my thought what does it really break the prime directive to bring him up and try to wipe his memory and then leave him back down there. Because honestly, we have people on our planet all the time that are claiming that they were abducted by aliens and everybody writes them off as crazy. Mm -hmm. So really, I think in a society, you can let the one crazy person do their, you know, do their thing because Mm -hmm. everybody, they're not crazy, but people assume that they're crazy. I agree. And I also think that they should erase their memory though, because that changes the trajectory of a person's life when they're written off as crazy by their entire society. That's that is true. Yeah. So I agree with you in the sense that there's no there's no danger to Starfleet by letting this person keep their memories because no one's going to believe them anyways. But there is danger to that individual because now they're seen as crazy yeah. and disowned by their entire family. Yeah, so you're right. I, I do think it's worth erasing their memory. Um, but you're right. In this case, he keeps his memory and everybody believes him. And the reason they believe him what they just explain in the episode is that because they're, you know, this really backward society that's so um, unsophisticated that they kind of believe anything with a really good story. And so that was kind of, again, not super realistic because mm-hmm. even if you only have mm-hmm. spears and bows and arrows, you still have common sense. <laughs> like yes. that hasn't changed. And yes. maybe your understanding of the world is different right now yeah. than where it will be a hundred years from now. But still, if one person's just like, hey, I just saw God like five minutes ago. And everyone's like, okay. You know, yeah. and at first they did give a little bit of pushback, like, no, no, no. Um, but then the daughter was there like, no, I swear he almost died, but then he died, but now he's alive. Having someone to corroborate your story a big is difference. big difference. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the daughter's like, never mind that we were smoking peyote back there. Uh, just <laughs> listen to what we have to say. <laughs> uh, but so aboard the show, I think, well, let me back up. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I did not consider the the life that somebody would have after being totally written off by their family and their society. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank God you're in charge of things like this because I would not be good at that. Um, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Okay, so back on board the ship, um, the team is talking about this guy who jumped out the window like Superman. <laughs> and they're like, we still need to find him. <laughs> still need to find him. Um, so Riker and Troy, and I, this is the first time we see this in Star Trek. I'm so excited. They are surgically altered and beamed down to the surface to find the missing researcher. So uh, cool. And I love when our main crew are quote unquote surgically altered to mm-hmm. look like other aliens. And I think one, that is a hell of a lot of makeup and mm-hmm. like facial things that you have to stick on your actors. So mm-hmm. Good job, makeup team. 
immediate mm-hmm. like just immediately off the bat great this job makeup there. job was great actually i really like so this good. makeup job it was so really good. good not only that but like the hair as well mm-hmm. like i'm sure they had to wear wigs or whatever amazing job there too they looked just like everybody else and it didn't look like too short a season where you had a whole other head attached to your head you know so your head was no like way i, too I big. believed everything mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I mean, even later in track, the episodes were like the episode where Troy wakes up and she's been surgically altered to look like a Vulcan. It's like, damn, they do such a killer job. It looks unbelievable. Um, so they beam down and Liko is running around telling people what they've seen. And I thought that this was a some, you know, somewhat like the writers poking fun of, of our society where we are right now. But they said, we no longer believe that the stars control our fates and the spirits of the dead haunt the living. And I was like, wow, these are things that a lot of us still believe today. So I was like, wow, that's what is that saying about where our culture is today? Um, but I, I really picked that up and maybe thought more about it than I <laughs> than I needed to. Well, I mean, it's the same thing that I said earlier. It's like there's room for more than one belief because we as humans and I guess them as Mintakans still have this desire to explain the world and how it works. Yes. Which is fine. So a lot of things can be explained by science, but not everything like friendship can't be explained Mm -hmm. by science, Mm -hmm. but maybe you can break down with psychology or like there's other ways to view the world. And I think that that's fine. And there's definitely room for woo woo. There's, there's room for stuff in there. That's like a little bit off of mainstream, Mm -hmm. but if there's no other explanations, what's the harm? Um, and, and that's kind of what I was thinking with this when, when she was just like, well, we don't believe that anymore, but now you want us to believe these old beliefs, but he's like, but what about these old, you know? And so anyways, they have lots of healthy discussions, which I appreciate because that also makes them more of a society. We talked about last week's episode with the instance of command or not last week's episode. I don't even remember when that episode was, (laughs) but Whenever we did that episode. Yeah. I was like, that's episode two. Whenever we did that episode, um, how that society was like a really real society because everybody had different thoughts and opinions and there was mm-hmm. healthy discussions and debates. And that is what makes it feel more real. Unlike justice where everyone was just like, we all believe the same thing. Yeah. Why would we believe anything different? Yeah. And it's just like, overly no, simplistic. Like that. Yeah. Way over. Yeah. And, so I, and so I like this and they all end up being convinced, which I think is reasonable as well. Like if someone's really <laughs> passionate and really believes about something, um, and he had people to back him up. They're like, all right, so Picard is God and maybe we need to appease him somehow. And then Troy and Riker are just totally trying to like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, cock block mm-hmm. and just be like, <laughs> nah, what are you talking? Nah, uh-uh, that's not true. I think you guys are making that up. And I think that strategy was just not very effective. Like it was a good idea, but it wasn't working. I think they should have changed horses and tried a different strategy mm-hmm. to talk to them and talkings because that whole everything he's saying is false was not working. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, also, um, suspicion alert. You've got one of your members of your um, society saying like all these strange things have been happening. I was taken aboard the ship and I saw all these strange people and, da, 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 and all these crazy things. Right. And then you have two strangers you've never seen before be like, hello, we're travelers can we trade with you? I'd be like, trading is closed for today. Okay. <laughs> like to right. figure out what the fuck is going on. We are mm-hmm. not talking to anybody. We don't know. Just, yeah, I thought that was really, and they could have just, pl- they could have played into that too, because when they first beamed down to the planet, I was thinking they must have consulted with the anthropologists. You would think. 
even have visitors. And if they do, what town did you just come from? How did you arrive? How did you like, if anyone asks you questions, can you answer those questions? Mm -hmm. Do you know how to engage with them? So I was like, they must've just interviewed the anthropologist and got some cribs notes or something about what to do. Hope so. But when they were, I hope so, because (laughs) I mean, you don't just enter a society. Like I wouldn't go to another country and just be very American. I would want to learn about their culture. So that way I can communicate effectively. So I, they could have played into that and been more effective. They could have been like, we're travelers. What is this you're talking about? What strange people mm-hmm. really, do you think that was real? Or do you think that was a dream? Like they could have inserted it a little more subtly instead of just being like, we're travelers and we don't believe anything yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I think you were hallucinating. And so was your daughter. Yes. It's just like, why would we believe you people? We don't even know you. We don't people. even know who you who are. are you? Yes. Where'd you come from? For Troy to be like, what a strange dream you had. It was a dream. It's like. Uh, you're pushing this dream thing a little hard, Troy. Maybe subtlety, subtlety is more your thing. If you really yeah. wanted to push hard, you should have Worf beam down and been, you know, yeah. I'm in talking. <laughs> but mm-hmm. so Troy and you know they're they're trying to find Palmer, who's the other anthropologist that jumped out the fucking window. And um, <laughs> one of the Mintalkins is like, "Hey, I found this guy," and he's like half conscious, half not. And Troy, thankfully, is thinking quick. Um, and she's like, there's another stranger out here. I found one. And so she leads everybody out and Riker takes Palmer and gets to the enterprise. They, you know, have this like ridiculous little chase, um, where Riker is running with Palmer around his shoulders, like a fireman carry. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. one of the, the, uh, Liko's daughter sees him running off with him and he's like, wait, wait. Right. So it alerts like them and talking to stop following Troy and start getting real and chasing down mm-hmm. Riker, <laughs> and- which I don't think she ever took her measurements. No, she the whole didn't. reason she wasn't with the rest of the group was because she was like, I father, I need to take my sundial measurements. Yeah. And I don't think she ever got those nope. measurements. We taken. are never going to know what time it was or whatever. <laughs> For that day or whatever she was even measuring there's gonna be yeah there's gonna be a blank entry for that day because that was one <laughs> hell of a busy day for the mintonkins i tell you what so Riker is chasing but he doesn't want to beam away and have the mintonkins see him so he's like running behind some rocks and finally gets away but troy is found out obviously and held captive yeah um, that wasn't a super well thought out plan no it was not it sure wasn't um why doesn't she run? they had subcutaneous communicators why didn't she run behind a rock while everybody was like it's mm-hmm. caught up in the melee, right? Because she said, I saw them over there. She didn't have to leave them. She could have been like, he went over there, right over there. Yeah. I saw him and, and let then them just all disappear. run off. Yeah. Although, yep. to mm-hmm. be frank, I really um, don't think well on my feet in a blind panic. So I don't know what I would have done. I would have been like, look over here. I would have just been like some really badly thought out plan. And then somebody like you would have been like, why didn't you just do this? And I would have been like, oh crap <laughs> so i don't know but at any rate um now we're on board the enterprise and dr baron of the archaeological team says that picard should send them in tonkins a sign he's like now there's this religion they're referring to the god as the picard which i think is kind of funny uh we mm-hmm. don't want to upset the picard and dr baron is like look Like it or not, the Prime Directive has been broken into a zillion pieces and is now dust. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Number two, they believe that you are God and they will create an entire religion around you. How Dr. Barron knows that is beyond me because he's been beamed away from medical. I know, but he's been beamed away from medical attention 
And all of this happens. Oh, how do you know what's going on in the planet? Yeah. yeah. All of this has they happened since he's left. Him. They're, <laughs> they're in the observation lounge. They must have informed him about what's going on. And maybe he can also hear the comms stuff. Oh, he could. Oh, okay. Hearing the gonna, comms We're just going to assume he's, he's in on everything. <laughs> I should hope so. So, but Picard is refusing to play God. And he does say, you know, Dr. Barron does say, like it or not, you've created a religion, which is going to create rules and like belief system and like we have forever altered the mintonkins society right now because of all of this um and picard is like i will not play god they think i'm a magician but i'm going to show them how the magic is made and his second option is to be nuria aboard which is Liko's wife i assume or like the leader of the society um i thought we were having this whole prime directive talk like two seconds ago and now you're trying to pull the justice move and just beam this woman aboard and show her your fucking ship and the planet and everything like wait a second so this bothered me because first of all picard has this really impassioned speech about the importance of the prime directive thank you i just didn't buy it at all I was like, you have routinely broken the prime directive on just about every episode we've had. So this passionate speech about its importance is just really ill-timed. It just feels like not authentic. Like I can't, I just can't buy that coming from you. And then he's like, I'm not going to play God. That's not, you know, I'm not going to show myself to them in talkins. That's going to contaminate them even further. So instead let's beam another one on board. Yeah, Here's an idea. Let's pull a justice move and just beam one on board. Yeah. That was so like, that is a horrible decision because you're just exposing even more of them. We've already exposed Liko and look what happened with that. Yeah. So I thought it was a terrible idea. It turns out it was fine. (laughs) Like in the end of the episode, it was fine, but yeah. And like whenever, I mean, I think there's an episode in season seven where they do something similar and they beam aliens on board, but it's unavoidable in this case. Mm-hmm. And when the alien sees the ship and it's like so far beyond their technology, they're kind of like caveman era. Mm-hmm. And that alien kills himself because he can't really live with what he's seen and go back to his people. Oh, and pretend. Yeah, that sounds Remember that? vaguely familiar. Yes. He can't go back to his people and pretend like he never saw what he saw. Yes. And they like can't erase his memory or something. So he just kills himself ceremonially. And it's yes, like, he like kills damaging. himself in his sleep or something. Yeah, I, yeah, something like that. It's just it's very damaging. So I thought this was a terrible idea, but the writers fixed it so that it was a fine idea. And it all worked <laughs> out. Agreed. So he beams <laughs> Nuria aboard, and he does have this like kind of beautifully written speech about humans' past and Mintonkin's past yeah, and how he's that was a, a god. Good and mm-hmm. he actually did a good thing where he was like, "Imagine you met someone um, who didn't know what a bow was." What would she think of that? Right. And so he finally kind of gets around to this woman, but she does request that he brings several people back from the dead and doesn't believe Picard when he says he can't do that. And so he's like, God damn it. I thought I'd just gotten through to you. <laughs> and I now realize I haven't. So he takes Nuria to sick bay where one of the archaeologists is succumbing to her injuries. And Nuria sees this and she's like, oh shit. Okay. So you can't control death. You can just heal injuries better than we can, but you still don't have a monopoly over death. But that wasn't the thing that stood out to me. Sharice, the thing that stood out to me was this poor woman is dying and like gasping for air and on her last breath. And the medic on duty that's above her has the worst bedside manner I have 
ever seen in my life. He's on a pad. He's just tapping things and casually looking at her. And he's actually <laughs> looking at her like he had a date with someone and had to, and like someone else called in sick and he has to cover the shift and he's fucking pissed that he has to cover the shift. So this woman <laughs> is an inconvenience on his life. That's what this dude looked like. I was like, who the hell thought that this would be a good look? <laughs> this dude was looking annoyed. And then when she dies, he was like, beep, boop, beep, boop. Ugh, whatever. All right. I'm going to the next patient. Like, not even like, and she's got people there that are surrounding her that like have worked with her and stuff. So they're all sad. Right. So it's like, you would think the appropriate thing to do is put on like a sad face. At least it'd be like, I'm so sorry. No, he was like, beep, mm-hmm. boop, beep, boop. Ugh, are you still here? Like, so if you have not seen this episode, that alone is worth checking out. It was the worst bedside manner I've ever seen on a doctor in my life, honestly. So I have to say, I didn't notice that guy at all. And that's a lot of backstory you just gave him right now. <laughs> I, I, did, I did not even notice this med tech standing there. But what I did notice was that when Beverly Crusher goes to give her the hypo spray, she hypo sprays her in the chest. And I was Does like, she? Oh yeah. And I was like, huh? I was that so pissed no about the medic. For so many reasons. Because I was it's like going through her clothes and her neck <laughs> is two inches north of where you shot her. I don't get that. And then she I died anyway. So so I was so pissed about confused. the medic that I completely <laughs> missed that part. <laughs> Perspective. Yeah. So, yeah. So she dies. And yeah. then Nuria's like, okay, you don't have the power over life and death. So, cause I'm guessing after his impassioned speech to her, she was maybe thinking they're all gods. Like they all have special powers. Yeah. And then when she saw that, she was like, oh, okay. So wait, you do have limits. There's limits. You do have powers that we don't understand, but there's limits to your powers. So you're not as cool as I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think I sort of get it now. So yes. it's like, great. And then he beams to the planet. And I was like, wasn't he just saying, I won't beam to this planet. They can't see me. If I'm exposed to them, I'll contaminate, blah, 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 blah. And then like, he's like, Hey everybody, I'm Picard. I was like, what? But I get that he was coming for a different reason. He wasn't coming with his 10 commandments. He was coming to be like, Hey, I'm just a regular person, but he literally just said he wasn't going to go down there. So I was just like, he doesn't, he doesn't know what's going on right now. No, it was basically like, Hey, Picard, you should go down to the planet. No, I will never, ever do that. Here's an idea. Let's beam (laughs) someone aboard from the planet who doesn't understand any of this technology. And then I'm going to beam down with her. It's like, okay. Mm. I, Oh, backing up just a little bit. I do actually really think that they, Nuria, the, the actress who played Nuria did a fabulous job. Um, when they brought her on board because they beamed her into a transporter room And just the look of the room freaked her out. And then little things like the doors opening and closing on their own. She was like, (gasps) right? Because if you were from a society that is that primitive, things, little, little things you take for granted, like the doors opening and closing would blow your mind. Mm -hmm. It would. And I thought that was really cool. It's like, okay. And she said that too. She was like, even the doors obey your thoughts. Exactly. That is what it looks like. It totally looks like that. So yes. Okay. So going forward a little bit. So Picard does beam down with Nuria and they try reasoning with Liko who is having a blind panic about what to do to please the Picard. And this is something that I thought, this is something that I thought bothers me about religion. When people are trying to please their God, it it could be anything or nothing, right? Where it's like, you're just searching to grasp at straws for like, this Mm -hmm. would please my God, or that would please my, it's like, how would you Mm -hmm. know? You can't comprehend you know, it's like Liko trying to comprehend this mythical, the Picard. And he's like, maybe we should shoot Troy. That would please the Picard. Or maybe keeping her alive mm-hmm. would 
please the Picard or maybe throwing her into the cold would please the Picard. It's like any of these things could Mm. or couldn't please the Picard. So that's to me, I was like, okay, this is sometimes when I see people who could be classified at times as like extremists trying to please their God. And it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. again, like you don't know either of these options could or could not please them. So how would you know? I don't know. Yeah. And that's the role of religious text because it usually gives guidance on what to do and what not to do. And Mm -hmm. then the challenge comes when people interpret that guidance. So sacrifice to deities is common in many, many, many religions. Mm -hmm. And then it's the interpretation of what a sacrifice look like. Does sacrifice look like giving your best? Does it look like giving your time? Does it look like giving your money? Does it look like killing people and cutting out their hearts? Mm -hmm. Like what does sacrifice look like? And it gets interpreted differently based on just whoever's reading it really. But um, it tends to be the things that we remember are the really violent acts of sacrifice mm-hmm. that are, like you said, very extreme because no one's going to notice the person who sacrifices like a little vial of oil, which yeah. is like a really famous story in the Bible. This woman who sacrificed some oil, but it was really expensive oil. And so it's like giving your best. Right. Mm-hmm. But we do remember like the Aztecs or Mayans, I don't remember which one it was, but like cutting out people's hearts and like burning it or whatever, you know, like we do remember that. Cause you're like, Holy cow. Like that's, that's a lot. Like that's, you know, murdering another human. That's so big. Um, And I agree with you that the guessing game is not helpful and it's stressful. It's frustrating to everybody. And it almost always ends up being something bad. Like it's always, it comes to this point where some, where somebody's being harmed or killed or something, because the idea, I think, um, we used to talk about this when I was in Bible study, people have this idea of God being this like divine genie. Mm Mm-hmm where it's like three wishes, you know, and then like, what can you do to like manipulate the genie to give you your three wishes? And that's what sacrifices behave like. Like that's how people treat sacrifices. Is like, you have to do something really extreme to get something really extreme. So Lico's thinking the Picard's going to drown us all in the storm because mm-hmm. he's pissed that we lost Palmer. So we've got to do something equally extreme. Yeah. Which is killing <laughs> Troy. So that's why it's like getting bit. It's like one upsmanship with God, which is, crazy and then he almost kills the picard which is also crazy like if this is your god why would you try to shoot him in the chest um, oh my god yes yeah because it makes Lico- sense because he's just like bring back my wife somebody bring back my wife and he's just swallowed up in grief at this point yeah he really is and the actor who played Lico did a great job too of that like indecision mm-hmm. mixed with that panic of like we have to do something and we have to do something big because these thunderstorms are going to kill us all or and the floods are going to kill us all Everyone else is like, I don't know what we should do. And he's yeah. like, I do. Give me that bow. Yes. And I and thought to myself, why is everybody standing around Troy if she's about to be like, that's delayed? what I thought. I was like, close. gun safety 101. You do not stand <laughs> downrange, you idiots. Like, don't do. Yeah. I was like, how about if we all just crowd around her and hope you're a good shot? Like, yeah. Right? I, I thought that thing too, where I was like, right. Where's your mm, firing range? Where yeah. you stand out in the open, <laughs> far away from other people and property. Like this plan seems not well thought out. No, and it's inside a house too. So you're going to hit a hole in the wall. Yeah, I was like, all of this is just bad. Have a pool of blood running down the stairs. Like (laughs) it's just not, this whole thing is not well thought out. Yeah, that actor was so good. He actually plays like, when I was watching, I was like, I know this guy. Where do I know this guy from? And he's been in a million things. But what I remember him the most from is he plays this character called Arturus on Star Trek Voyager. And he's also like this really desperate character. He's really like, he seems really nice, but he's actually deceiving them. And he's trying to feed all of them to the Borg because, because of something that Voyager did, the Borg came and conquered his system and destroyed all of his people. 
So he's got this huge revenge plot and he's like kidnaps the captain and only one other crew member, seven of nine, and is taking them back to the Borg and the inner and the enterprise and Voyager's chasing after them. And like, it's such a good episode. And I was like, oh man, this guy, like this guy is so good. So yeah, I did love the indecision and see him, seeing him just stressed out and wanting mm-hmm. his wife back. And that's really where all this motivation was coming from. And you brought me back to life. Can't you bring her back to life or just switch us, just exchange, bring her yes. back and just let me go. And you see his daughter just being like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, hold on hold a second on, now. Hold on there. Hold on there. No, no yes. one needs to die right now. Um, but again, all, all was well. He ends up shooting his own God, which I guess is a metaphor in there because they immediately abandoned their religion. Yep. Right after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's that like, was fun. One yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, back to taking sun measurements. Yeah. So yes, he, Picard, Picard does try reasoning with Liko who in a blind panic about what to do ends up shooting Picard with a bow and arrow and hits him in the shoulder. Um, and that's the end of that religion. You're absolutely right. Um, and Liko does the thing that everybody does when they accidentally hurt somebody with a firearm is they drop the firearm and they're like, what have I done? It's like, yeah, that's why you don't fucking play with firearms. Yeah. Um, and Beverly patches him up quickly, immediately, because it's a hole in his shoulder, which whatever, that's like easy to fix in the 24th century. And the next time we see Picard, he's again down on the planet's surface saying goodbye to the Mintonkins and wearing a sling, which I was like, Oh, okay. I remember in season two, he had open heart surgery and he was in recovery for four hours and that was it. Why is he wearing a sling like the next day? Doesn't make any damn sense whatsoever. I was like, and they already know about the enterprise and they already know about, you know, it's like, oh, you guys have like crazy future technology. So you could show up without a sling and being like, yes, our doctor used our future technology and and like healed me up. I'm good. Why are you wearing a sling? a sling? They probably don't even have slings. Either. Exactly. So, so yeah. come on now. I didn't think about that until right now when you said that. Why does he have a sling? What's the purpose of that? Because he should have been completely healed. It took him four hours to recover from open heart surgery. And then he was like back at the gym again the next day. So it's like, you don't need a sling. Anyway, so he shows them in Tonkin's the uh, the duck blind and tells them that they'll be observing them to learn more about themselves. Because he's like learning about you helps us learn about our past because our people are very similar, um, which immediately made me trigger two thoughts. Uh, I would move the fuck out of there immediately, knowing that people are watching me. No, and no, no, no. Be- he said, sorry, go ahead. Well, and then I thought if this can be disguised so expertly, I would be paranoid about anywhere mm-hmm. I went. People would be watching, which I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want that. I don't want yeah. that. Yeah, definitely. So what he said was, this is where we were, but we're shutting oh. this whole thing down. Oh, so- Okay. So he was going to have Jordy um, dismantle the entire duck blind, but he had him like show it to them first and then mm. like hide it again. And then they were going to dismantle the duck blind and the anthropologists were going to move on because now their whole, like all their research is over because the subjects are now aware of their presence. So now it's Got not going it. to work. Okay. So they said they're, they're leaving, they're going to leave them alone and all that other stuff, but here's where we were and we were watching you and here's what was going on. But I agree. Like I wouldn't necessarily trust that they really were leaving. Because how yeah, would I know? Exactly. You disappear. And yeah, it could be like any busher tree now. It could be a duck blind. Exactly. That I would just feel so paranoid. Probably, yeah. It's probably best to be like, hey, we're leaving now and let's blow up the rock just to be extra sure. <laughs> That's what I thought he was going to do when he was like, when he was like, La Forge, please. I thought it was going to like blow up. And that would have just for me, I would be like, okay, that blind is gone. <laughs> yeah. But he just like showed it to them and was like, see, that's where we were hiding. Okay, we're good. And then it just went back away. I was like, wait, should have no, just, just left. But I guess, and, yeah. I mean, 
And even thinking about them recovering their technology piece by piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, all that stuff just blew up anyways. So like, right. It like all fried inside and you could just keep it. Yeah. Also, you guys have replicators. You could just replicate fresh technology, whatever. (laughs) It's not. Yeah. It's not like you need it. I think they need to keep it from the Mintakins because that's like not their, it's not time for that. They're not ready for Um, that. But yeah, I thought they were going to blow it up and maybe that's, maybe that's not a good idea. Having like shrap technology shrapnel all over the mountain. Yeah. Be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's bound to be a phaser somewhere in there and then that's going to like trigger the next. Yeah, exactly. Next civil war or something. Yeah, exactly. Bow and exactly. arrow versus phaser. Mm. Right. <laughs> uh, advantage phaser. All right. On that note, um, thank you for geeking out with us next week. We are talking season three, episode five, the bonding Sharice. I love doing this with you and I really look forward to breaking down next week's episode. Yeah, it's going to be super fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.